Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Monday Night Therapy with John and Todd and some other guy that joined us. Anthony Broom, a Michigan guy who we're looking forward to abusing with great affair, great, you know, it's zest. That's what we're going to do. Uh, welcome, Anthony. How you doing? Uh, I'm ready for all all of the uh, the quote unquote abuse. It's been a an up and down few weeks in this, these neck of the woods. So I suppose. Okay, before we get to that, a real quick housekeeping bit. Uh, I did a polar plunge Saturday. It it went it went fast. Uh, I raised more money than anybody else in my group, and I was number one, and I like that. So thank you for your support. Uh, it was it was a much easier jump than the previous year where it was four degrees, real temperature with the wind blowing. And we had to walk, walk like 80 yards back to the dry tent. And uh, this one went really quick. Uh, while we were changing, some guy made the joke that the water was 60 or 70 degrees. And we all laughed, and, but it stuck in my brain that the water was going to be warm when I hit it. And the water was not warm when I hit it. And therefore, it was very shocking to jump into a frozen lake again. Okay, Michigan. First of all, let me start by saying congratulations on your first national title since 1948. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> in the in the least optimistic of uh, of outlooks, it's at least uh, since a half title. So we'll let that debate rage on. But uh, yeah, what a crazy year it was. Uh, I was yeah. actually fortunate enough to be in Lincoln uh, for about 36 hours. Uh, when Michigan was there and, and had a great time. So a uh, lot of lot of memories from this year. I feel like I was living out a 30 for 30 in real time. But uh, yeah, just uh, it, it's been a, it, it's been interesting. Well, I where do, I don't even know where to start. I mean, you guys I know where to start. I got what? a question. Oh, God. <laughs> hey, listen, you're going to you're going to you're going to shut me down here in a little bit anyway. So. Um, I want to, Anthony, what's the general sentiment among Michigan fans with Co coach Harbaugh moving on to the NFL? Yeah, I think most, I mean, given if this was two years ago when he got on that plane and interviewed for the Minnesota Vikings and really did so with the intent of taking the job, I think the mood would be very different because it was like, okay, well, they finally beat Ohio state. They finally won a big 10 title and now he's gone and it just would feel quick and abrupt. Uh, the fact that it did go two years past that, the fact that they did make you know three straight trips to the college football playoff and then finally paid it off this year, I think the majority of the fans are at peace with it. Um, now, again, I work for a site that has a message board. It's a little more fanatical and a little more polarizing and 50-50 on there with uh, you know people saying, don't let the door hit you in the rear end on the way out, and other people you know, just crushed and destroyed because – there hasn't been a national champion that's replaced a head coach, you know, since, you know, Nebraska in 1997 uh, with Tom Osborne. So it's a really, it's a really unique one of one situation. Uh, Jim Harbaugh being the polarizing guy that he is. I mean, it's almost like a Rorschach test, really. Like the people, people are going to see and react to all of it the way that, that they, you know, it's, it's completely unique to their experience. So I think the majority of Michigan fans are, at peace with it, given that they did pay it off this year. But, um, as, you know, even when you go with the continuity higher, as they did with Sharon Moore, it's a little turbulent right now because it's still a transition and there's a lot of change. And I think 
people are kind of taking that as a, you know, as a slight from Harbaugh that he's, you know, left the cupboard empty or things like that. I don't know that I believe that, but um, a wide swath of opinions, but I think most people are just ready for the roller coaster to kind of subside, but that comes with questions about the future too. Okay. I got another question. So my other (laughs) define Michigan man. Oh my God. Who? Well, I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) I am not one myself. So I think uh, Michigan man would uh, probably even take issue with me attempting to define and put that into a box. But uh yeah, I, I still I, I've been on this. This will be year ten on this beat for me, and I still I'm not entirely sure what that means because their most famous Michigan man was an Ohio State guy. Bo Schembechler was on Woody Hayes' staff, so right. It's like uh, you know, twist it however you want to, you know. <laughs> Ron Moore is he is he really the hire that you should you think they should have hired or is he the hire because everybody watched what happened at Alabama where Nick Saban left and then like every good player they had entered the portal and about 15 minutes after Kalen DeBoer was hired what do you think of Sharon Moore I basically yeah to me I, I think and I think Kalen Kalen DeBoer is, is the key name here like if Michigan if Kalen DeBoer had still been available, this is just my take on it. Um, I think that would have been – he was a guy that obviously had some ties to the Midwest. I think that would have been like probably the candidate for me. But given that you know, it, he wasn't available, um, Tron Moore I think is, is qualified for the job. It's not just a, hey, we had him coach for a couple games in the regular season and uh, he showed he can do it. He could win those games and this is best for continuity and, you know, I think it can still be that for them. I think that he passed the audition for them in that regard, but um, this is a guy who I think North Northwestern had interest in him. Um, Jim Harbaugh said there were a couple NFL teams that had called about him as an offensive line coach. Uh, he has been Harbaugh's right-hand man uh, in terms of the on-field stuff over the last few years. And, you know, really has, has shaped shaped an offense that, you know, while it didn't put up the gaudiest of numbers, uh, was efficient and balanced and, and, and did a lot of things well. So I think he is, you know, if they were going to go internal, I think he's the best possible candidate for the job. And I think if you just take away the fact that he was on Michigan staff already, if you just look at any power five school that did the type of things that Michigan did over the last few years, um, you know, having him, have that pedigree as as an offensive coordinator for a three-time Big Ten champion, a three-time you know team that made the college football playoff, a national champion. I think that uh, I think it does fit, and I think it works, and I do think that he's going to do a good job. But you know, again, it's uh, you have to do a lot to improve on the margins in other areas because Jim Harbaugh did have you know as wacky as he is and, and as as unique as he is. There, there are just things that he has an eye for that other coaches don't, and they haven't, and uh, has a Midas touch in that regard. So it's, I think Moore is the best hire they could have made, especially given the fact that it was late January, uh, super yeah, unique, one of one scenario. Um, so I, I think something that will help too is, is I know when when Jim Harbaugh moves on, that transfer portal window opens, but now 
we're three, four weeks into the semester. Add the add drop dates at a lot of schools are, are passed, yeah. especially at Michigan. So I, it does, and again, not like you're it's not like you're holding players hostage, but it does give them some time to let this calm down. You get to spring ball, and then maybe there's some activity there. But in terms of turning the temperature down a little bit from losing Jim Harbaugh, I do think this this is the best move that they could make, but you got to be able, it can't just be a hire. That's the best for next year. It's got to be the best hire for 2028 and, and 2030. Yeah. And it's got to cr- check all those boxes. And I think that they feel that it does. Well, M. Gabowski is one of, uh, he's a Michigan fellow that joins us often. And he says, we're at peace with it because Sharon Moore is awesome. And we can tell recruits, the coach is going to be here next year. And, and, you know, in this day and age, uh, the recruit part of this and what you mentioned about Alabama and being in school, that all makes sense. Um, and, you know, Sharon Moore had some success. Now, going to pop another one up here from another one of our regulars, Fred Sacco. When he says serious question, that's an important qualifier coming from Fred. It um, is. <laughs> Fred says, is the Michigan fan base happy with the new hire? Or were they hoping for a big splash replacement? Now, you've indicated you thought it was the right move. M. Gabowski says that he's happy. But mm-hmm. is there is there an aspect of the fan base that would – have you heard anything like that? I This is – again, there have been a few coaching searches now. I think this is the fourth one that I've kind of really been locked in on. Um, you know, Rich Rodriguez didn't – there were a lot of factions with that. Everyone – this faction wants this guy. Oh, Lloyd Carr wants this guy. And, you know, there was some fractures there. Uh, Brady Hoke, again, that was the first time they kind of made the run at Jim Harbaugh. And, and you had the people who wanted Harbaugh. And then you had David Brandon's guy. And, and you had all those. And obviously Harbaugh was as close to a unanimous a hire as you could possibly have. And it's diff- this is much different. I'm not even – I'm not comparing them in terms of being a caliber of candidate. But I think – this is about as universal a, a an approval rating as a guy could have getting this job in this situation. I think that everyone, obviously athletic department, board of regents were on board. The fan base is on board. Community is on board. Um, and, and the key is, you know, when you, you look at, you know, they were ready to make Jim Harbaugh the highest paid coach in college football. You know, the right. key is, okay, well, now we know there's money in in you know there's money in the banana stand so to speak right like Sharon Moore's going to make half of what Jim Harbaugh was in year one, but you got to you know reinvest that into your recruiting department and um, you know your you know all those resources his staff uh, you know you need the collectives to kind of step up and and deliver on the NIL front so it's. It's 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 universally praised, uh, but I think a lot of people know that if this is and this would have been the way no matter who got hired, because it's not Jim Harbaugh, it has to look different operationally. And uh, I think that the way that he'll need to be supported is different. I think that would have been the case for any head coach. But in terms of the hire itself, I mean, I think a lot of people this isn't like a a, obviously not a nepotism hire or anything like that. It's not a. Well, he was the guy that's been here the longest. Let's just hand him the job. A lot of people felt that whether it was, you know, as of this time last week, you know, Jim Harbaugh was still the coach at Michigan. Jim Harbaugh was going to be the coach, could be the coach for five more days. He'd be the coach for five more years. And and I think that Sharon Moore 
could have been the coach, obviously did become the coach five days later, but he could have been the head coach two years down the road, three years down the road. And uh, I think he's been groomed for that. And I think a lot of people are happy that it, it wound up being him. And um, they got it done relatively quickly too, which was a bit of a miracle given that there's a state law in Michigan that the job has to be posted for seven days. And somehow they were able to get around that. So um, for that, <laughs> no from figure, that, Michigan get around it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Here, okay. Here's, here's the thing with that is that I think you be, you're able to get some kind of waiver if you can argue that, you know, waiting does irreparable damage to your business. And, you know, no. when you're in an era now where if you don't have your ducks in a row, your, your roster gets poached. Right. To me, I think you can make that argument that that would do irreparable harm to your business. So, okay. I don't know if, anyway, Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh has gone to the NFL and he's taken some of his staff with him mm -hmm. from Michigan, including a strength and conditioning coach that everybody loves. But he's also hired one guy. Connor Stallions back as a scouting or analyst that we might as well go into this. I mean, this has been so this entire season, I mean, started out dumb with the whole Northwestern thing going on, but the whole, the evolving of, of Jim Harbaugh started out the season suspended because of the hamburger issue or lying to somebody. And then he got suspended later because you built a big spy network. And then Ohio State was involved in it, and they set it all up. I Listen, after a while, I couldn't follow what was real and what wasn't. But I can tell you this, standing back and watching the Ohio State and Michigan people go back and forth on Twitter was probably the most fantastic fun of college football I've ever seen in my life. What do you think really happened in all of this? And what do you, I guess the real question is, what do you think the outcome is going to be? And there's a lot, I mean, there's a whole can of worms that goes along with this. Yeah. I mean, a lot of rumor, a lot of innuendo in terms of where, where this scandal began, who did what, who told on who, um, you know, I saw psyop stuff. I saw, you know, heard all kinds of things, which, you know, it's, this is college football. It's this isn't like international espionage, but it turned out right. to be espionage. Um, again, you know, I won't. I can never sit up here with a straight face and say that Michigan. I mean, Michigan got caught with its hand in the cookie jar, and and to me, pointing the pointing the finger at oh, this is what Ohio State does, or this is what we've heard Alabama, you know, etc. To me, pointing the finger at someone else isn't an acceptable defense, um, or it's not a defense that's going to exonerate you right. at the same time. Um, you know, it, it's tough to, and again, this is just, I I've had a lot of time to think about this to me. It's, I think ultimately it was a lot of bluster over stuff that is ultimately probably of the level two, level three violation okay. variety. Um, I don't know, you know, there's just so much still that's unknown uh, in terms of of what happened and who was who knew what and who was responsible. I assume, like my gut feel on all this, is that with Harbaugh gone, a lot of it is just kind of kind of dissipate. Because I mean, I don't know how you guys saw it from the outside, but um, you know, Jim says a lot of things and, and opens <laughs> his does. mouth on a lot of issues, and it does seem like they kind of had it out for this guy. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you look at what Michigan faces from here. I think there would be, obviously I think, you know, Connor Stallions is done in college football. He'll get a right. show cause. Um, we'll see on Jim Harbaugh. I think that you're probably looking at him getting a couple more games suspension. If he had stayed in college, 
um, maybe with the time served, you know, from the, the big 10 suspension. But I really do think when the further we get away from this, because it is still going to take a couple of years because it's the NCA, I think you're probably looking at a pretty substantial fine and maybe, uh, maybe some probation, maybe a couple of recruiting weekends taken away. I just don't know that it's going to be, they're going to vacate the titles and, and all these wins are going to go away. I just, I, the precedent is already kind There's of, there's not going to be an asterisk. It's on this one. I mean, or is there, you know, like 1997 where there's an asterisk. Yeah. For both schools. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, it, if if you're not a Michigan fan, this is a, a season and an era, this three-year stretch that will always be tainted. So in that regard, like their their biggest punishment is the lack of the moral high ground, right? But other than that, um, and to them, that might be the most the worst punishment of all well, to a lot of I, people in Ann Arbor. But I'll be um, honest with you. You know, since I was a kid growing and I'm old, man. Look at me. I'm old and crusty. <laughs> Since I watched it as a little kid, those winged helmets, when we had grainy TV and we had three channels, uh, you know, I've heard a Michigan man. And to me, it was, we always have the highest integrity. And that's really what it went away for me this year is the constant deflection, the constant pointing, oh, uh, you know, the psyops thing. That stuff really did bother me a lot. It wasn't so much that, okay, here's what I understand happened. Is basically it's against the the rules to go out and do like in person scouting in, in ahead of time. They built a giant spy network, is what they did. That's how I turned it, and that's against the rules. And yeah. I looked at it, and I, I guess this is a long way of saying it really just bothered me because I always have had a lot of respect for Michigan, and mm. some of that has been diminished because of this. And that's where the term Michigan man has always come in. Yeah, and I guess. I don't, I don't, I, first of all, NCAA rules, there's, there's so many of them and they're so unbelievably silly. When we look back at Jim Trestle losing his job at Ohio State for tattoos, basically, yeah, you know, or Reggie Bush losing the Heisman, they're just, a lot of them are so inane and, and just asinine, especially now in this new era that we're going into. But I don't know where I'm going with this. I, I lost a lot of respect for Michigan, and I don't know what's yeah. going to come out of it. But I, I, it does bother me that Michigan people constantly deflect, you yeah. know, and say it's not that big a deal, or or they should just put helmet radios in, and everybody should bear the expense of all this stuff just because. Well, Michigan built a giant spy network, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's it's not it's not not a big deal, um, but it's also not you know you see. The, the quotes immediately, you know, the anonymous quotes of, oh, this is the worst scandal in Big Ten history. It's like, well, there's not, this isn't even the worst scandal at the right. University of Michigan, or this is worse than um, uh, the Astros and, and Deflategate combined times infinity. Like, it, it's just, there was just a lot of sensationalism in it. And I do think you put a lot of, I mean, I'm not, again, Michigan got caught with its hands in the cookie jar. Um, but you do look at this NCAA rule book, and I'm, a lot more well-versed in it now than I expected to be coming out of this season. <laughs> but, um, it's a, like something that always st- that struck me about Jim Harbaugh. And we had heard this about, you know, going back to when he was at Stanford, when he was with the 49ers is that that guy will find a gray area or, or something that's <laughs> not clearly explained. And he will push, 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 yep. push, push. Yep. Kind of Belichick like. Yeah. 
Um, and that's, you know what? And then there's a fine line because a lot of the greats will do that, but yeah, you can't, you, you know, you cross that line and you know, that's, that's what the optics of it are. Um, but really that rule in, in the NCAA rule book is so vaguely written that I don't know. Again, this isn't even a defense of Michigan. This is just, if you're arguing for either side of it, I don't know where you plant a flag on it. I mean, it, you could say it's a clear violation of the spirit of the rule, but the spirit of the rule and how the rule is to be interpreted are two very different things when it comes you know, to a defense to the whole situation. So it's, it's super complicated. Again, like I said, I, I feel like in real time was, was living a six part, 10 part docuseries that we'll, we're going to find out a lot, you know, especially if, if, Let's just say this does go to court and all of this goes to discovery or something like that. We're going to find out a lot, not just about what Michigan's what's in Michigan's closet, but a lot of other schools too. And it's just, you know, I know that you just mentioned like all oh, the deflecting and, and saying, put radios in the helmets. They should just still put radios in the helmets. They should. We don't need to do espionage. You know, this is essentially semi-professional football. Now it is professional football now. So um, it's just been so exhausting because it's impossible. It really, a lot of it too is impossible to quantify because um, there are just so many variables in, on the field in a football game. But it's clear that they, yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, Connor Stallions is putting, dude, buy a Visa gift card. Don't <laughs> put your name on it. Like, what are you doing? Speaking of closet, speaking of closet, many ass, Anthony, do you have to wear khakis if you're a Wolverine fan? You know, oddly enough, the khakis got retired like 2018 or 2019. He started wearing like these, uh, not joggers, but they weren't khakis anymore. You know, the Walmart khakis were the economy in this area was up big time for a while after that. So that was a pretty easy costume to throw together, but um, no, we can, we can officially retire from Walmart pants. Uh, if you're trying to emulate a head coach. <laughs> Okay, M. Gaboski says, what pisses Michigan people off is rival fans pretending this isn't going on everywhere. If it wasn't, why are signals encoded so rigorously with backup quarterbacks? You know, I think the problem is is it, it's taken to an extreme. It's taken to – it's a giant spy network, for God's sakes. Everybody yeah. else is stealing signals, but they didn't build a giant spy network. That's the difference. That's what I see it as. What do you guys think? Well, my thing too is again, this isn't a point the figure thing. It's just we're having the conversation. Is right, you know, Urban Meyer works works the Fox pregame and is on the sideline for all these games, right? And you know, what's what's the difference between what he sees and relay? Let's just say, oh, well, I noticed X about this and relays it to Ryan Day to you know some some intern that went to go see Penn State play UMass in the cold, in the rain, with a shaky iPhone camera that you probably see, you probably get a better view on the HD copy, to be frank with you. And he leaves at halftime because he's cold. Like, that's the other thing where it's, um, you know, just based on what I know about Stallions and, and the allegations of this operation, he's not much of a mastermind of anything. And I don't know that he had a bunch of brilliant decoders working for him anyway so again and i'm not it's not deflecting it's just like he yeah you're right 
his own name. It's the hubris of it all. It's it's yeah. the hubris and the recklessness of it all to me. Well, we have some pretty wise fans that join us every week. And David Matney says, sorry, I think an adequate sanction would have been uh, – to hire Scott Frost. So, you know, maybe maybe that would have been adequate to deal with this situation if Michigan had to uh, strap strap themselves to the Scott Frost wagon. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I, another, another from David Manny. Anthony, in your opinion, how much of Michigan's success was a result of sign stealing? Because that's really the – I that's really the, the kind of the crux of the matter, isn't it? That's right yeah. where it gets down to it. Yeah, and that's that's where it goes back to the point I made about not knowing how to quantify it because it's diff. Like, okay, one of the most prominent. Again, I'm not accusing them of wrongdoing. They haven't been accused of any wrongdoing. Ohio State. They're one of the best sign stealing programs in college football. So when you go into a game against them, let's just say that you both have top notch espionage, you know, you've got each other's signs and you've changed your signs during the week. To me, that's, that's game on the second you figure out that they know what you're doing, you make the adjustment, it's done. Um, but you play Michigan state who, you know, we've heard didn't change a single sign under Mel Tucker. <laughs> um, and that's not me piling on for rivalry. Right. Sake, but, we know, heard. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, um, it really is tough to quantify. And you see these coaches say, oh, well, it's a it's a 14 to 21 point advantage. And it's like, first off, most of these coaches, I don't trust their math at all because every week we watch them botch how to manage clock situations and how many timeouts they have. Um, but, I, I mean, I can't say it didn't play, play any part in it. I mean, Ohio State, um, Michigan suspected them in 2018 and 2019 of having everything. Now, again, you were running, you know, Don Brown's defense where he just sent everyone to the line of scrimmage and played man. So that's, that's the sign there. But um, I, I don't, this is the thing to me and why after these allegations came out, the only way for them out of it was to keep winning because that whole operation was that's ripped true. out by its roots. Right. Um, as far as we know, I mean, I, I assume someone was still on the signs each week, but you're still, you're watching TV copy. No one's going to games because we know that everyone had records of that, but the only way out of it was, was to win. And you know, that you were able to go to, you know, they went to Penn state and won really without throwing a forward pass. They threw the ball eight times in the game. That's true. Um, you know, they, they beat Ohio state, which again, you just strip all the BS away and just play a football game one of the best football games of the year, same deal with the Rose bowl, uh, same deal with the national championship game. And, you know, to me, I mean, it was, um, again, it's tough to say cause I'm viewing it through the lens of watching this team every week. But um, I, I really feel like that stretch run really from that Purdue game on was kind of, to me, it was kind of affirming that like players win football games and coaches. Yeah. They're responsible for, gathering intel and, and and putting game plans together but ultimately you know the variables on a football field come down to players executing their assignment and Michigan had right. an extremely veteran laden team full of guys that had been there before so yeah. it's tough to say uh this year i mean yeah well it, it's the no no disrespect to the the teams in the first half of the schedule but signs or not i mean Michigan was just that much better than everyone they played and it's i'm just, that's the scores bear that out too. So 
it, yeah, it's I, tough. To, it really is tough to say. I think that's true. I, I you know, as Michigan, Michigan's team this year was as good as any college football team that I've seen, you know, in, in, in quite a few years. I mean, they, they really were. And, you know, um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of what happened. And, you know, when it comes down to it, I, I guess my, my ax to grind with Harbaugh is I think, I think he lies. I think he, I think he is a flipping liar. And when you, when you, mentioned something about finding the gray areas and exploiting them. He, you know, Belichick did the same thing. I mean, there's people that do that. I mean, there's other coaches that have as well. I'm not just trying to make it a, you know, uh, outlier type of behavior, but you know, the, the whole thing about, um, you know, early on uh, when he was suspended for the three games at the beginning of the year, that's because he lied. You know, I mean, ultimately, that's what it came down to. And him kind of washing his hands, not kind of, but washing his hands of Connor Stallions and all that type of stuff. I mean, he lied. And so for me, that's what is so hard to get beyond, because quite honestly, I've cheered for Michigan ever since I was a kid. I really have. But, you know, it, it is the winged helmets, isn't it? No, no. I just I just <laughs> I just liked them. You know, I mean, they had good players. Um and I don't know, maybe it was the damn fight song. Um, it was probably Bo Schembler. You know what it was? Yeah. It was Bo Schembler and, and him him and just angry Woody Hayes going back well, and forth. It, it could, yeah. But it, and I I guess my axe isn't my axe to grind isn't against Michigan. It's it's Jim Harbaugh. And that's yeah. I think that's a little bit different. But I'm I not think the NCAA agrees with you. I think yeah. the NCAA agrees with you, honestly. Yeah. Um I think so. Uh yeah, I mean, again, a lot of, uh, you know, the funny thing is, is a lot of the things that hampered them in those first five or six years to me were self-inflicted errors off the field or on the field, I should say. Right. And then, you know, I think you can make the argument that Jim Harbaugh isn't at Michigan now and into the future because of self-inflicted mistakes made off the field. Um Again, I, I you when you look back at those recruiting violations and the burger stuff, like ultimately it came down to exactly that. They bought a committed recruit a burger during COVID while he was in town. They watched some kids do um, basically do push-ups on Zoom, which again, letter of the law, those are violations. And usually those are things you either self-report or it's just kind right. of a slap on the wrist. But yeah, you take the by saying you don't recall or you don't remember or just not not cooperating, I mean that created a much bigger issue than than it needed to be, and that's uh, I, I don't know I'll, that I'll ever understand why. And, and whether you think it's a big deal or not, like uh, this is the thing that gets me is that he's always taking taken offense to being called a liar or someone that wasn't true yeah. to his word, but. He's also someone that said after the Viking stuff happened that uh, he'll be at Michigan as long as they want him. And Michigan, even up until the day that he left to ultimately go take the Chargers job, said they wanted him. They wanted to make him the highest paid coach in college football. And again, it's just, uh, you know, I don't like to point the finger and say liar, but I just judge people by their actions and not on their by their words and Ultimately, Michigan has a new head coach because its old head coach didn't want to be there anymore. And I have no issue you, with that did, either. 
But now, did do you think he left because he wanted to get away from sanctions, or was he always going back to the NFL? I think that he, he always now when he originally signed at Michigan, he had promised the athletic director at the time, Jim Hackett, seven years. I'll give you seven years, and then I want to win a Super Bowl. I want to chase a Super Bowl, and, okay. and to him. Uh, you know, football, he, he's one of those football lifers. It's a religion to him. And when you've had right. not only a taste of it, but to lose a Super Bowl to your brother and that's hanging over your head. And you know that, because you know, make no mistake about it, he's going to go to the Chargers and he's going to win. And I think he was interested in the job because, because he has a chance to do that. You've got the bird in hand with Justin Herbert and you probably got a little window to attack here. But um, I don't think that he was, even before a lot of this stuff this year with the, the recruiting investigation, the sign stealing stuff, a lot of people had kind of thought that even before that, this kind of had a last dance vibe to it. Really? And that, um, and that he would ultimately, cause again, two years ago, he got on a plane in Minnesota with the intent to take the job and then botched the final interview last year. The Broncos had interest. He heard him out a little bit, but it never got that far. And then this year I, I, it was, you know, just every time that we would get some kind of update that they felt good about the contract, Michigan had agreed to another stipulation, it would be, oh, well, now he wants this. And it just kind of felt like from probably like mid, probably like mid October on, even before the sign stuff was out there, it just felt like it was always going to get stretched into this NFL uh, cycle. And, and, you know, we talk about the timing of it, when we talk about why is it Sharon Moore? Um, Again, they would have taken Jim Harbaugh back in a heartbeat. But right. at the same time, you can't light the first two to three weeks of your offseason on fire every year. It's just not the way that things it's move now. You just can't true. do it. So, like, it's going to be different. But from a stability perspective, again, you got to win on the field. But this is, uh, I think this, it was just the right time for everyone, is how I would summarize it. Uh, David Matney says, Anthony, I give you credit. For coming on the show and and uh, you know, Anthony, you've you've given straight up answers and we certainly appreciate that. I'm gonna pop another one up, Thomas Fedoni. I'm not sure if this is the Thomas Fedoni. It's, it's not the football yeah. player. It might not be his the dad. football player. Let's be it honest. Might be his dad. Pardon? It might be his dad. Okay, let's be honest. Correctly. He wasn't a great coach. He possibly had two good seasons after COVID. If people remember. He was about to get fired before COVID, so why would he not go out on top? You know, I, I don't, you know, honestly, my memory is so doggone short, but there is something to say, be said about going out on top. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there, there are a lot of coaches that, you know, hang around too damn long and um, legends are tarnished, uh, you know, in some respects. So, again, I'm not defending uh, Coach Harbaugh by any means, but I think that that's, that's a, certainly a good point. Um, John, where else are we headed with this, bud? Well, I suppose Michigan is still this a Michigan show. Where, where, where are you? Have, English is hard. We have four new teams coming into the pack for the Pac-12. They're coming into the Big Ten. Michigan and Ohio State have ruled this damn conference for well for its existence. Let's just say, I you know not always, but pretty damn close. Do you think that that's going to continue? 
Or do you think that, you know, there's going to be more fluidity to the situation going forward? I mean, I think they have a good shot to stay in that conversation. But when you look at these four teams coming in, Oregon to me is the one that I think has a chance to make that biggest, the biggest impact right off the bat. And, and, you know, look at, just look at, even if you just look at the transfer portal, this cycle, I feel like every guy is going to either Oregon, Texas, or Ole Miss. And they already recruit extremely well. Um, I, I just feel like that team, you know, Oregon, or I'm sorry, Ohio state has been loading up to make sure they don't lose to Michigan again. But right. they've kind of got their own little boogeyman coming in from the West as well. And, um, again, I think if I had to power rank it today, I think it's probably Oregon and Ohio State at the top. And then I'm not really? sure from there. I mean, a lot of questions with Michigan still. We don't know who their quarterback's going to be. But I, I think Michigan still has a window here uh, to be near the top. But um, there is going to be a drop-off with them. And I think that is going to create opportunities for, you know, the USC's, the Wisconsin's. I think I really do. Let me say something nice about Nebraska. I think Nebraska really isn't headed in the right direction. I like Matt Rule a lot. Um, and that team played hard all year. And I just as a fan of football, fan of the Big Ten, I like to see that. So I think that, you know, right now you've got that big two or big three. I'm not sold on USC coming in and tearing up the Big no. Ten. Um Did you you see Lincoln Riley? This is the real quote that I saw today. What's that? Did Lincoln really Riley really say that about Jim Harbaugh? If I I saw me coming into the uh, the conference, I'd leave too. Is that a real quote? I don't think so. I I mean, he is that he is an arrogant. I Lincoln Riley drives me nuts. Well, I can't believe he would say that. Once with in re, in reference to Oregon and Oregon, you know, I have tremendous respect for that coach and that program's been really solid. But once upon a time, there was a school who dominated their conference that uh, came into the Big Ten, and there were a lot of expectations that that school on the football field was going to kick ass and take names. And we know where that school has been <laughs> since they came into the Big Ten conference. So, um, you, you know, I, I, I think history might have something to say a little bit about Oregon's ability to just to step into the Big Ten Conference and kick ass and take names. I, just saying. Yeah, it's going to be – man, it's going to be so interesting uh, to see where this goes because I like that – I mean, I like that divisions are gone now. Let's just, let's yeah. just have those best two – if we're going to play a Big Ten championship game, let those two best teams play. Um, gosh, I mean, you look at the, that's, there's so much change happening, you know, at the school I cover right now with Michigan and they're going into next year where they got Texas in week two. They have to go play at Washington next year. They get USC and Oregon at home. And that's before you even play, you know, they'll play, uh, a Michigan state team. That's always going to be a tough game, especially with a new head coach. And then they go to Columbus the last week there. I mean, that's, that's a gauntlet. That's one of the the tougher college football schedules I've ever seen. Um, and, but it's going to be a lot of fun too. Um, I'm just, you know, I know there's a lot of changes in the sport right now. I'm a fan of more games with stakes, more games that matter. Right. Um, and more teams in the dance. I mean, four is, it's always just been to me, the BCS plus two. And now right. it's still going to be kind of an invitational, but let's, let's get more teams in there. Let's play games at, on campus sites. 
And let's crown a champion. I mean, it's just it's going to be so much more of a worthy champion when you have to win four straight games or whatever it is, or three straight games. And I'm looking so forward you do, to it. So you don't think uh, college football has been destroyed? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's been it's been altered fundamentally. Uh, that's right. for sure. But destroyed? No. I mean, people can cry and scream and and I'm one of those guys too. I, I love tradition. I love the rivalries. Uh, but man, I mean, I just think that getting more good football and less, you know, in less Western Kentucky in week two or, or yeah, that, that, like that. that's it, isn't it? Yeah. I was on a show before this and that's what I talked about. You know, I, I do the opening odds article every week and you look for big games and some weeks there isn't aren't real, there's maybe one big game and that's going to change yeah. now. Yeah. All right. M. Kaboski yeah. says Nebraska hasn't kicked ass since Bo Pelini. They won 10 games every year. We, we yeah. know. We thanks, know. <laughs> thanks for the reminder, yeah. dude. Uh, Fred Sacco, a little while ago, we have to include a comment from Fred because, well, he's Fred. Fred Sacco said uh, about uh, football terminology, Northwestern sent all their guys to the shower and played man a lot. Ooh. And, you know, that I think that's going to be one of the fun things about this is, well, not that Northwestern is, has that going on, but you know, Oregon's going to have to play Iowa at Kinnick Stadium. <laughs> I know. I, all this talk of, oh, we can't wait for Michigan-USC or – Nebraska playing Washington. It's like, well, wait, what about uh, what about UCLA having to go play Rutgers? You know, yeah. That's going to be amazing. And Northwestern's uh, going to drag every one of these teams into a rock fight they don't want to be in. So yeah. I think it's just going to be it's going to be a lot more fun than it's been. You know, I I get the tra- the traditions of being ripped apart, but I guess for us Nebraska fans, you know, our traditions already were ripped apart. So. <laughs> and we found new ones, you know, and that you guys were, were trend were trailblazers. Yeah, in many, many ways. Yeah. In many, many ways. Early uh, adopters. Yeah. All right. I, you know, we have to turn the uh, I have to if I have a Michigan gun on, I have to we have to turn the fire hose on Ohio State. Here we go. Right now, because I'm going to have a friend of mine on from Ohio State and sometime in the future, and we're going to do the same thing to him. And I, they have this attitude that you can go ahead and fire Ryan Day, and they're going to be good no matter what because they're Ohio State. Respond to that, Mr. Anthony Broom. They're going to be good no matter what because they're <laughs> Ohio State. Um, yeah. You know, I really do think um, – I always said that all it was going to take for me, and, and granted, Ohio State dominated the Michigan rivalry for 20 years. Yeah. But I, all I said was that all it was going to take is one loss for them to just fall into this spiral where they're in this identity crisis. And these yeah. last few years, I mean, I think that what's what's always made Ohio State so scary is that you know they were they were a Ferrari or a buzz you know a buzzsaw in a conference full of snowplows and no matter what happened they were gonna you know they had but they had those guys in the trenches too like I always remember those Urban Meyer teams their offensive line would go six 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 seven across the entire line three forty three fifty and they're just not uh, I just the, the reason that Michigan has beaten them in the last three years 
is because they were better where it, where it's counted. And a lot of teams have kind of got Ohio State into rock fights over the last few years, especially this year. So again, um, you can't you can't you can't microwave culture. You can't microwave good play in the trenches. And yeah, you can go throw bags of money at, at guys to come in and and you know million bucks here, two million bucks there. But um, you know the pressure is is squarely on them this year and that's kind of a fun place to view them from because they haven't played very well under pressure the last few years. No, they, um, they have this thing where they go into games and suddenly something cracks and they start committing dumb penalties all over the freaking place. I think if you look at the games they've lost, that's one consistent thing that they've done poorly is keep their brains on and they just start like personal foul penalties just start showing up out of the blue and you're like, well, yeah. there you can watch them but just fall apart. Here's the biggest thing with them, uh, especially like this year, they put a target on their back. Ryan Day put a target on their back after the Notre Dame game when he cut his little promo about how tough they were. And something that they, I think he and that program at large fails to realize is that Toughness is not just a punch card that you hand in and it guarantees you victory. Like toughness is a prerequisite. And then you go play a football game from there. And to, to their credit, I mean, this was, I mean, that, that Michigan Ohio state game this year was a heavyweight fight and Michigan just made more plays, but uh, right. it's not enough to just be tough. You know, you have to be poised and you have to, um, you can be tough, but there's also like a, a targeted kind of physicality and, when they've lost games, they kind of lose themselves in that. And that, you know, that's, we'll see. There's a lot of pressure on them this year. Um, and quite frankly, I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm kind of excited to watch it too. I'm, you know, I just think that the whole, like I mentioned at the beginning of this, the whole Michigan, Ohio state thing going back and forth. It's just, it was just so it made me feel, you know what? I, I, you know, I have a dysfunctional family, and I suddenly get to go to somebody else's house, and you know, they're drunk and fighting. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> my family isn't the only fucked up one in the world. This is great, you know, where most people would go, wow, this is embarrassing. It's wonderful. Okay, Blake Corm won this championship, did he not? Oh my God, he was, he's automatic. I mean, to have a guy scored 27 touchdowns in a year when guys aren't wearing leather helmets anymore. It is insane. Like that's that broke a Michigan record that was set in like 1901, him having 27 touchdowns this year. Um, that's he's, he's the heartbeat. And um, some of the best, some of his best runs came in those last two games of the season. Right. You know, we had a, a knee injury, but he was the engine and uh you know, it's, it's always cool to see guys, you know, because now everyone's looking to get to the league after three years or, or guys will have a couple big years and they'll then go somewhere else and chase a bag. Like Blake Corum came back, cited unfinished business, and then finished the business damn near on his own. And I, I respect the hell out of that guy. Um, so, yeah, he was he was awesome. Okay, Aaron Keene says, is that John's winter robe? Now, well, you know, this is the robe I wear. It's become a, a kind of an iconic thing, you know, the the uh, the, the Hugh Hefner kind of looking robe here. Uh, I would, you know, I'd like to, I want to start my own clothing line with robes. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Todd, you had, 
Todd, do you have anything for Anthony? No, he's, I, I appreciate Anthony's perspective on this. I, um, you know, like I said, the thing that bothers me the most about Michigan is, is Jim Harbaugh. And, you know, time's going to tell, you know, how things end up, um, you know, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I think a lot of Michigan fans least favorite thing about Michigan is the, the antics of Jim Harbaugh. So, you know, you, you're more unified with a lot of Michigan fans than you aren't in that regard. <laughs> well, I, you know, the guy was, let's be honest. I mean, the guy was really, I mean, he was fun. The whole, what was it? Chicken is a nervous bird. What was that yeah. comment about? Yeah. It's funny. He said that uh, he didn't eat chicken because they're known as nervous birds. And then uh, uh, one of the last press conferences he did, he talked about how he actually has chickens at his house. Now, one of the players went over there for Thanksgiving and he's out back feeding the chickens. Um, I mean, what are we going to do to replace that in college football? You know what? That's, that's the biggest thing of all is that, uh, you know, one of college football's best personalities and it's not going to be the same in the NFL because, you right. know, that league is just, it's sterilized and, and it but is. this college football lends itself to the unique and Michigan's head coach these last nine years was as one of one as any coach could possibly be. So I will, I, I mean, I, we'll see what happens with the product on the field, but from a personality storyline perspective, you know, I used to have a boss. That would say, if you can't be good, be interesting. And Michigan was pretty good most of the time. Um, so obviously really good the last few years. But he checked both of those boxes because <laughs> there was never a dull moment. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's going to be a lot different now. But uh, uh, One more, and I'll, we'll let you go. We'll spend the, like the last nine minutes talking about Nebraska stuff or eight minutes or whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> What is the feeling? I mean, what is the feeling about around the Michigan fan base about having won their first national title since 1948? I mean, how do they do they feel like they're going to spend shit tons of money on buying paraphernalia and memorabilia everywhere? And yeah, are you selling things? Are you selling things like I wore this T-shirt to? Uh, I haven't. You know, I have a lot of confetti. I'm still pulling confetti out of my oh, pocket. Yeah. So. Yeah. Get a couple friends here and there. Hey, any confetti left? And you send some in the mail. But yeah, I mean, it is, um, you know, it has been, I think for Michigan fans, they, they have, again, for, for guys like me that put their head down and work in it every day, um, you know, you kind of just, it's just what's going to, what's the story today? What's happening today? Um, for Michigan fans, I think they were, uh, you know, from a pure entertainment perspective, I think that they were put through the ringer this year. Jim Harbaugh was coaching and then he wasn't the first three games, but then True. everyone's telling you how bad your schedule was for eight weeks. And then, well, once the schedule lightens up, then the science or the gets tougher, then the sign stealing stuff comes out. And then you don't have him for the three biggest games of the season. And then you beat freaking Alabama in the Rose bowl in overtime. Like, and then, I mean, three weeks ago tonight is where I got all that confetti. I'm still giving away <laughs> to people. Right. And it's a, yeah. uh, it's amazing how things have changed in just a couple of weeks. And, um, but yeah, like I said, this is going to be, uh, we're, this is going to be a, a six, seven, eight part docuseries. And at, at one point, and 
if anyone out there is I'm planting an idea, like I'm available just to contribute to it. So I just want to put that out there right now. But um, I think it's, it's extremely gratifying for fans because, you know, you go to, and again, obviously the Michigan state rivalry here is, uh, is as poisonous and as toxic as time at times as an Ohio state rivalry. When you, you walk into the office every day or you go to work, go to school and, you got your rival telling you how much of a dirty, no good cheater your head coach is and how your program is, is dirty and how you're overrated and how all these things, you know, to be able to kind of walk out of this season undefeated with the wins they had when they had them. Uh, I think for Michigan fans, it's it really has been a dream come true because um, 1997 for both of our programs was a long time ago. And uh, to do it, and and this kind of brings it full circle too with what we were talking about in terms of college football going away from the things we loved about it. To do that in this season, in the last year of the four-team playoff, the last year where the Big Ten is what it is, the last year where really, I mean, we could be looking at seasons where Michigan and Ohio State play twice. Maybe they play three times. There's never going to be another edition of that game that had those stakes on the line, even taking out the psyop stuff and all the silly stuff behind yeah. the scenes. So, right. Um, I, I noticed, I noticed that you didn't say the end of the Big Ten West. We, <laughs> I, we, uh, every other night thinking of that. You know what? When <laughs> I maybe it's Stockholm syndrome at this point. I love the Big Ten West. And I love betting Iowa unders, and I, I, I'll still be able to do that. But um, my gosh! All right, Aaron Keen says I like this Anthony guy, classy dude. Let's see. Uh, David Manny says Anthony enjoyed having you on the program. Where's Minnie's comment? Minnie says, "What what happened there?" I have no Anthony, idea. You, Anthony, you can come back anytime and talk trash about Ohio State. Uh, there you go. I think we're we're gonna we're gonna go past our hour, Todd. We're gonna spend a little bit of time on Nebraska stuff. But thank you for joining us. You need to. One of the things you need to do before you leave is plug yourself. Like, sure. Um, what do you actually do? You know, things yeah. like that that I didn't. My name is Anthony Broom. Uh, I cover <laughs> Mich the Michigan Wolverines. Um, I'm over at on three. Uh, covering Michigan for our Michigan site called the Wolverine aptly named. Um, and if you somehow are a Michigan fan that made your way to this, uh, come on over. We'd love to have you obviously uh message board would love to, we'd love to add you to the insanity over there. Um, we also have a print edition of what we do. We do a monthly magazine and we just started production on our commemorative national championship edition. Uh, so you can head on over to the Wolverine on demand.com and pre-order that. And looks like that'll be out uh, sometime in, in mid February or so. So, you know, five years from now, when, um, when Connor Stallions is coaching Michigan and they're fighting for bull eligibility, you can grab your little commemorative issue and remember the good times. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you guys so much for having well, thank me. Thank you on. very much. Thank you very much, Anthony. Take care of yourself. Yes. Thank you guys. All right. Bye. Okay. You know, he mentioned the confetti. I'll tell you what, I shot that uh, Stanford-Nebraska volleyball national title game 
you know, when we lost to Stanford, I was out on the court and that stuff coming, I did literally so much of that shit coming down that if you breathe wrong, you're going to die from inhaling it. So that's my name dropping the national title thing. Anyway, uh, let's see. We had, what about Nebraska? Linda had some questions. Where the hell are they? Well, we Linda, one of the things Linda asked was about the $205 million. Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah, the, the sports department taking in $205 million last year. Um, is that gross or net? That's net. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, – No, wait. That's, that's gross. That's how much they brought in, not how much they ended up with. I mean, they topped $200 million for the first time in their history, which, you know, is understandable given inflation and given how – uh, I, I can't remember. Oh, you know what? When I was at the polar plunge for some reason, uh, a couple, I got into this discussion with somebody about college sports and they were asking me about bowl games and things like that. And what I pointed out to them is that, listen, college sports in general has so much more value now than it probably ever has in terms of relative to stuff that's on TV. And I think I've said this before, but when is the last time you actually turned on TV to watch anything? I mean, some people watch the mass singer. Some people watch America's got talent, the bachelor, that kind of stuff. I don't watch any of that stuff. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, that's never going to happen. When I turn on TV, if it's not a Netflix anime, weird anime or something, or I started watching some stuff on Apple, but sports is the thing that is not scripted. It's typically not boring. And even casual people now are going to turn to sports more than ever because it's just, it's not boring. I mean, most of the time there's still a story there. I mean, I probably, everybody's tired of it, but Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and everything going on with that stuff in the Super Bowl. But you know, there's more stuff going on with that than there is probably across, I don't know, all of the reality TV shows put together out there. So that value is going to continue to increase. And because of that, athletic departments are going to make more money. And certainly Nebraska's is one of the best well-run okay. athletic departments in the nation. And, and they're going to they're do going better to start because of their it. athletes. And they need to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So David Matney says, does anyone look at Brock Purdy and wonder where would Chubba be if he had adequate coaching? David, I don't think Chubba is, is Brock. And I think the biggest difference – between the two of them is their mindset. And, uh, you know, Brock Purdy is one of the coolest customers you're ever going to run across. Um, you know, not to say that um, I think both of them are, are decent students of the game, but, you know, it's more than anything, Brock Purdy's success is largely attributed to his demeanor, his the way he responds under pressure. Um, there's there's something different about that dude, and um, you know, congrats to him. I've I've been a Brock Purdy fan since he was a freshman in college. Yeah. Um, maybe some people remember back in the day when everybody was building up uh, Adrian Martinez as the super freshman. Uh, I posted a few times. Don't forget this freshman across the river at Iowa State. That's pretty damn good too. So. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't I don't know that Chuba. Uh, uh, granted, Chuba didn't get high quality coaching. Right. But I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that he would have would have been there. 
Branson Chab gives us a super chat. Thank you. You can all do that, you know, and buy me a new pair of shoes. Uh, I said so He says, I ordered a copy of Been Dead, Never Been to Europe, my memoir, and found it extremely helpful, recommended it to family members, and they also loved it. Thank you, Branson. I appreciate that very much. Uh, let's see. What else? What else do we got here? You never, you know, John, when you, when you, when you uh, promote your book, you never do mention it. I'm in it. (laughs) I never do. That's true. Yeah. You never do. Linda Wilkins says, so with Allie going to USC, we will now be playing against three of the four transfers in conference in volleyball. You know, my wife brought up the fact that she thought Allie Batenhorst might have transferred to USC so she could go to a bigger academic institution for, I think she's in grad school now, isn't she? She is in grad school. Yeah. I got a different theory. Okay. Hollywood. (laughs) Really? Hollywood. Why? I think she's always kind of had aspirin. I mean, she's a... I'm not. Nope. I'm not going down there because everybody will criticize me. She is a very, very lovely young look, looking young woman. She is a very, absolutely gorgeous young woman. That that you know you can say that, and there's nothing wrong with it. Unless not Todd goes about her caboose. Unless Todd goes on about it for. <laughs> you know, I I I think it's kind of interesting though because, you know, she was kind of late. Um, into the portal compared to other players. Uh, USC has not had that strong of a volleyball program in recent years. Right. Um, Also, there was, uh, there were people that were surprised she didn't end up in crate at Creighton because a boyfriend is there. Um, I don't know if Creighton had room for on the roster, you know, who knows, who knows what goes on um, behind the scenes, but I, I did find it interesting. Um, that it was USC and and maybe not a program that has played a, a, a little bit better in recent years. I mean, the other transfers all went to places that, you know, have, have been very, very strong programs recently. Linda Wilkins also says, thoughts on Cook trading Bud. I don't know what that means. I think Bud's the horse. Did, did he trade his horse? I I, I apparently, um, unless there's another Bud, but, um, you know, maybe Bud just doesn't have it anymore. Um, <laughs> I hear that about me all the time. Well, you know, John Cook's kind of into this whole roping thing. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, sometimes roping horses wear out. You got to get a new one. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, Linda. I wish I could talk more intelligently about Bud. Aaron Keene says, I thought Bud was weed, but I live in Colorado. That is, that is a term. There is. (laughs) 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 Fred Sacco, serious anecdotal comment. Fred ran into Joba Chamberlain yesterday. Joba said his son's coming to NU and he's a better player than he was. That's your baseball entry, Todd. Um, if Job is anything like his father, don't um, say it. There's there's a significant amount of exaggeration and overstatement. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe maybe his kid's a good ball player. 
Maybe he is. I hope so. You know, God knows that Nebraska needs a, a kid that can trot out there on Friday night and throw eight innings and shut other teams down. So I, I hope well, that'd so. Be, yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, okay. Do we have anything else? Wrestling? Well, I'll tell you what, folks. If uh, The nut masher scored 800 points in a wrestling match. What the hell was that about? It. I, I'll tell you what. Um, one of the best, absolute best heavyweight wrestling matches I've ever seen in my life. Um, Nash Hutmacher wrestled the other night against Wisconsin. And um, between him and the, the kid from Wisconsin, they scored 33 points, and none of them were back points. Um, I couldn't believe it. And I continue just to be, every time I see that kid wrestle, he gets better. Um, he's, he's the good ones are going to clean his clock. I mean, there's just too big of a, um, uh, too big of a, of a, of a uh, hill to climb for him in the short amount of time he has. But, um, holy smokes, he's athletic. I, I, I appreciate how what an incredible athlete that kid is. You can see it out on the wrestling mat, and it just is amazing. And what an exciting wrestling match! It, it really was. If 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 you somehow can run it down, watch that match from start to finish. That's what wrestling should be like every time two guys are out on the mat. Okay, Fred Sacco says, "Jesus, Todd, bucket of ice water, Wolverton," which is a nickname I'm certainly going to remember. And then Minnie reminds us. Uh, the five heart show is moving to Wednesday so we can all watch the basketball game on Thursday night. So on Wednesday night, we're having the five heart podcast. Uh, remember to like the videos and, you know, subscribe, become a member, that kind of stuff that also helps us out. I don't know if we have anything else. Do we have anything else? Is there uh, anything I'm forgetting? Yeah, I, I don't think we have anything else. I I'm glad, uh, we had uh, Anthony on tonight. That was interesting. And and thank you, everyone, for for hanging around and, and joining us. We always appreciate you and um, uh, some banter and, and uh, lively banter. So, yeah, John, I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to baseball season. We didn't even get to talk about that other than Jabba's kit. But, well, uh, it's just it's around the corner. Up, man. Just it's around the corner. It is. All right. Good night, Todd. Good night, John.